0: Hi and welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast about the movement trying to change American healthcare for the better and the people behind it. I'm Brian Chiglinski, joined as always by my amazing co-host, Dr. Josh Israel. Hey, Josh. Hi, Brian. Today we are joined by Wes Edwards, the Chief Financial Officer of MedFirst Primary and Urgent Care in North Carolina. Josh, how do you feel the conversation went today with Wes?
1: I had high hopes for it, and really, it was even better than I thought. Just so great to hear that this vision of value-based primary care that is financially self-sustaining is out there working. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a great follow-up
0: conversation to our chat with John Doyle, Allidade's chief financial officer a couple of weeks ago. You know, we've talked a lot about talked to doctors, we've talked to patient advocates, the folks who are on the front lines of care. And it's been really interesting to talk to a lot more uh, financial officers and folks who are working with the numbers and the bottom line to also hear them say, no, this is actually a viable, sustainable business model and it's good for practices to lean into it. And Wes definitely knocked it out of the park there. Just great perspective and really thoughtful on how these models can be helpful for primary care practices.
1: Yeah, Wes said it better than we could. So let's just listen. Wes Edwards, Chief Financial Officer of MedFirst Urgent and Primary Care in North and South Carolina. Thanks so much for joining us today, Wes.
2: I'm glad to be here.
0: All right. Let's start with just one introductory question for our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice and the community you serve?
2: Sure. So MedFirst Primary and Urgent Care is a group of practices, and we serve patients in North and South Carolina, primarily in North Carolina, and we are very acquisitive. So we've recently acquired practices in Morganton, North Carolina, down into Columbia, South Carolina. So we're really starting to expand the footprint that we have, but our roots are in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And so we try to serve patients all across North and South Carolina is the immediate goal with a southeastern kind of expansion plan
1: and you're structured a little bit differently than some primary care practices you are independent but there's equity investors is that right
2: absolutely so sverica capital partners is our equity sponsor they are the ones who originally partnered with our founder dr randy shilsky who's actually a chiropractor by trade and they partnered with him originally brought in equity to the company brought in a management team and and helped him to grow his business. So yes, it's, it's a little different than most of the Allidade practices that we interact with in that we've got a little bit broader management team, we have a little bit larger group, and it's not necessarily just you know an independent physician or nurse practitioner or physician's assistant and an office staff. We have a layer of management and a quality team that basically provides that layer of support back to the practice and to the patients.
0: That makes sense. So uh, we are titled The ACO Show, so probably good for us to go ahead and dive into ACOs. How long have you been in an ACO and what's your experience in value-based care been like so far?
2: It's been nothing short of life-saving and life-changing. And what I mean by that is um, I joined with the company in 2018. And so shortly after that, we got an opportunity to join in with Allidate as part of their Blue Premier program with Blue Cross Blue Shield here in North Carolina. So we actually joined on the commercial side as opposed to the MSSP side, which is a little bit different than a lot of the folks that we talk with. So that was back in 2019. Blue Cross was really offering a lot of upfront incentive for people to join. And what they said at the time, and their messaging has changed a little bit, but you know they wanted to increase the amount of dollars going into primary care from, I think at the time, 5%. They wanted it to be 10% of the spend, and they wanted every single primary care provider to be in a value-based arrangement. And so at the time, primary care economically, wasn't great. It had a lower fee-for-service reimbursement. You're spending a lot of time, very important time with patients. But from a put-through perspective, it was a little bit challenging to make money. And so they offered this program where they said, hey, join into the Blue Premier program. You have to do these patient routines and and things for patients, but we will increase your fee-for-service reimbursement, understanding that there would be a challenge to jump right in if there wasn't an immediate kind of payback, if you will.
1: Yeah. And how did that go?
2: it went well we were crazy skeptical because you know we saw the fee for service dollars we had read up on value i've been in healthcare for a little while now and value never took off in other parts so i was like i don't know but it's got this nice fee for service so what harm can it serve and so we jumped right in it has gone really well it's look our providers are wonderful our patients love our providers and our providers are the reason that we're here you know they don't come to medfirst for wonderful cfo services So our providers have always been wonderful. And the introduction with quality was not foreign to them. Some of the scorekeeping and record keeping was a little bit foreign to them, you know, in terms of claims-based information that had to be there. But their interaction with patients never changed. But then we started to see some of the results over time. And one thing that struck me, and I'm going to misremember the year, whether it was 2019 compared to 2022, but we saw a 50% reduction in our hospital days which is, it gives me goosebumps just to think about how big a deal that is that our patients are spending 50% you know of the time that they were in the hospital. It, it seems like it's an amazing outcome. You would think that would be a wonderful benefit for patients to be able to be healthy and at home and well enough to stay at home. So it's been great. And we've jumped in 1st We're now in every single value-based arrangement that we can get our hands on. I think we're just signing a new MA deal through Allidade, which is our first kind of, it's not fully capitated, but I think the primary care is capitated, where we're not going to receive any fee-for-service dollars. We're just going to get a PMPM. And so that's exciting for us. It's a small group of patients for us to experience, but I think we're very excited about the continued journey.
1: I just want to translate some of the CFO language. The uh, yes, MA please. for our listeners is Medicare Advantage, and PMPM is, is per member
2: per month payments. Thank you. Uh,
1: yeah, you bet. Wes, what do you think led to that decrease in hospitalization? And, and that is fantastic, of course.
2: I could say all the wrong reasons. I mean, I'm assuming that transitions of care is probably a big part of that, I would imagine. I previously had a pharmacy background. You guys are very smart within healthcare. I'm not. I'm just a finance person. But I'm told that the compliance around drugs that are prescribed in the hospital setting aren't always adhered to when a patient discharges. And that can lead to some readmission. So that TCM visit has been fundamentally important. But just the idea of seeing us first, you know, that's something that Alidate has helped us to convey to our patients is see us first before you seek care at an emergency department. Because emergency departments often lead to inpatient events. So I don't know exactly why. I mean, we've seen in the metric less emergency department visits. We've seen more TCMs. We've seen more AWVs. So there's a lot of intelligence that we have about our patients that maybe we didn't have before, but it's a lot of factors. I wish I knew just one. It seems to be a confluence of many things.
0: Yeah, I just... Echo Josh, that 50% drop in hospital days is just incredible and like a very real tangible benefit to patients' lives and their families about having to, you know, have a loved one spend less time in a hospital setting. So kudos to you guys for that. And, and don't sell yourself short. I've, I know people come for the providers and doctors, but I'm sure they stay because of the CFO quality. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But I do, I, I love the fact that you called yourself a crazy skeptic when you first started out because I think we run into a lot of physicians across the country, especially those who haven't started in value-based care yet and have been kind of waiting. And they see themselves as skeptical too. And, and rightfully so. I think they've seen a lot of healthcare movements come through a, and promise drastic changes to the system and the way that they do business and the way that they care for their patients. And they're looking at ACOs now and value-based care now, and they're wondering, okay, well, it's been 10 years. What are the results? What will I get for my practice and my patients if I get into this? And one of the things that you brought up to us, and I think the reason we really wanted to get you on the show to talk about this, is from a CFO perspective, one of the challenges from joining a value-based care relationship is often the work that you're putting in up front is work that you're putting in right away. But the returns on that, the shared savings revenue really comes in on the back end. And so there's a lag between the investments and the returns you usually get. And so we we knew that you having been someone who has come around to this model from a financial perspective for the practice, and really has addressed that, you know, that criticism, that concern head on, we love to hear a little bit about how you face that down and, and what worked for your practice to make that jump between investment and return.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I could say that we just believed and we poured dollars into it and the rest is history. So we got into it because there was a financial benefit to getting into it. But there is, to your point, there is a gap between kind of the return and the investment. And so, again, the beautiful answer would be, oh, well, we just knew everything would work out and we just we plowed in. But we were very because we have an equity sponsor, we tend to be a little bit better capitalized than just an independent primary care, but we still have constraints that we're living with, realities that we're living with around investment dollars. So we proceeded cautiously. We made investments cautiously. As the dollars came in, we were able to invest more and more. So several years ago, back in 2018, we had a quality department of one. We now have a quality and care coordination department of approximately eight to nine individuals one to eight to nine, the incremental seven doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a huge deal in terms of the things that we can do for our patients that we previously couldn't do in terms of you know outreach and coordination of their care. But we proceeded cautiously. There are still things that we would like to do as we get additional returns and as we get additional confidence that these programs are going to deliver. But we're no different than everybody else. There is no place to just reach in and grab a big bag of money and put it on the table and say, you know, I'm here and we're going to invest the world away. We have to proceed with caution. And so we did that just like every other prudent investor. And it's been fortunate that the results have turned out well. In terms of percentage of our revenue, we went from, I think in 2019, it might have been less than $10,000. And now it may be close to 10 to 15% of our revenue comes from value-based payments, which is amazing it's frankly amazing. And it allows us, it gives us the confidence to go back to our board and to go back to our investors and say, hey, let's do more. Let's add more wraparound services. Let's extend our hours more. Let's figure out a way that we can staff a line with nurses as opposed to just medical assistants or something like that, that seem like pedestrian investments, but are a big deal and give us the opportunity to um, care for our patients better, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, you say it's pedestrian, but only in the sense that People have known for a while about what helped people stay healthy, you know, preventive care, yeah. access, outreach, but there just wasn't money in the system to make it happen. So, I mean, I see what you mean by calling it pedestrian because it's sort of common sense. We've just never been able to do it before. So it's, it's so fantastic to hear how you guys have pulled this off.
2: Yeah. Well, what I meant is, yes, it, it makes perfect sense. It was just the economics around it weren't there. To wrap around and care for your patients in this way seems to make all the sense in the world, but there is no reimbursement code called wrap around and care for your patients. There was a volume of output that you had to do in order to get paid well. And I do, not to stroke your ego or Alidaid's, but Allidade was one of the first groups to talk in plain language about doing well economically. It's not anything to be embarrassed about. It's very important. Getting the pay structures right for provider groups and providers is critically important to success. If you just have the objectives and, and just assume everybody's altruistic and they'll just figure it out, doesn't seem to work. And so the pay structure had to align with it. But yes, it's been great. The things that we are able to do for our patients that we couldn't do is really heartwarming.
0: I think uh, listeners might refer back to episode 151 we had with Allidade CFO, John Doyle, who reiterated that same point that we have to be able to talk about the economics in the system. We have to talk about the incentives in it because that's how you get it towards a better system and a more aligned financial system. I guess one of the other aspects of your practice and your work that you mentioned was just this participation in a variety of value-based contracts across different payers. I'd love to hear a little bit about the benefits and maybe some of the downsides and the hard parts about having such a diversified portfolio of value-based care.
2: The benefits are, and I think you guys have said this and Allidate more broadly, Look, if we get 30 patients in the door, we want to be able to treat them the same way. And, you know, they don't walk in the door, you scan them, and they're part of a value-based contract, and you go to the left, and you're fee-for-service, and you go to the right. You know, our providers are caring for everybody. And so having a variety of value-based contracts allows, at least at a surface level, to say, hey, look. 90% of our patients are tied up in some kind of value-based arrangement. That might as well be 100%. So let's care for them the same way. If they have care gaps, let's close them. They appear in the huddle. They appear in a variety of places that tell us that we need to take action on them. So from that perspective, it's been unifying and easy is we can apply one, if you will, standard of care to our patients The complicated thing is the thing that you already know about, and you guys have had podcasts that have talked about just the disparate measures that we have between all these plans. Blue Cross Blue Shield has a set of measures that is different than Humana, that is different from Cigna. And as you know, sometimes they look kind of the same, but they're actually different, whether it's exclusions or reason codes or actual A1C measures are slightly different between some of these plans. And so that has been hard and challenging, but what we have done to try to solve some of that gap is we have a data analyst and a business analyst that is bringing in all this data from Allidate and bringing in all this data from Medicaid and trying as best we can to harmonize it. Allidate does a tremendous job in terms of harmonizing it, but our Medicaid program is outside of Allidate, and so we have to then bring in data from another source I would say that has been the challenging thing. But these are great challenges. Honestly, these are wonderful challenges for us to have because we're doing the right thing. We're caring for our patients. We're getting paid well to do it. And all we have to do is figure out how to understand all the metrics that various payers are looking for. There could be many worse problems.
1: Wes, you've talked about how you engaged your investors in this, which seems like a fairly straightforward proposal of profit and loss. How do you engage your physicians and the other providers? And when there is extra revenue that comes in from keeping patients healthy, how do you divide that up?
2: When we started, we had heard from other Allidade practices that the division of shared savings was something pretty important. And so we obviously share back a portion of that with our providers to help them tie the work with the financial outcome. It is very important. And so I'm making this up, but we could have a group of providers that says, oh, no, thank you. I don't need the money. I just really am excited to care for patients. They say that and they can also get a check as well. So we did want to treat them the same way that we would want, which was to get a return for some of our investment. So that's a big deal to us selling them on it is a little bit harder story. And you guys probably know this a lot better than I do, because I haven't been in the provider services world forever. But there have been a variety of things that have come and gone that our providers of any tenure have seen, whether it's like patient-centered medical homes or some different programs that said, oh, if you do this program, you'll get paid. And then the program kind of goes away when the administration of the payer changes. And if you do this program, and the hardest thing was just trying to explain to people without really knowing that this wasn't going to go away and this was something that you were going to get invested in. And Alidaid shows this wonderful map of North Carolina and they show the map of other states, I'm sure. But our CEO, Paul Fennec, sat down with our providers and showed them this map and they said, hey, just so you know, Alidaid has, I think at the time it might've been 250 practices in North Carolina. So if you'd like to work in North Carolina, then just understand that you're probably going to have to participate in these programs. And so that was really impactful in terms of selling my provider that it wasn't going to go away at least that it had widely disseminated enough such that they should really dig into understanding how to be successful in it it hasn't always been easy providers continually tell me that they're balancing a variety of things that are important whether it's you know patient volume or different patient care routines or or the gaps. And that's why we have this wonderful care coordination quality team that Dana Wolf leads where she's extending what we can do for patients through this administrative team that she's got. But yes, it's, it's not been always beautiful. It's not always been roses. There are a lot of difficult conversations and easy conversations. And we try to get our providers together physically in person four times a year, all in a room where we talk about these things. And we talk a lot about value because we want them to know how important it is.
0: So Wes, just to wrap us up a little bit and think broad strokes, as a CFO working in a primary care setting, what would your advice be to other CFOs who are, are facing the same questions and decisions around the move to
2: value-based care? Absolutely. No, that's a great question. I guess my advice would be these are good investments. They are investments that do have a return on them. You do have to do your homework and figure out you know, how much investment you can stand and wait for some of the return. Because as you guys have shared here and in other podcasts, there is a delay between the time that the investment is made and when the return comes. But just understand that, at least from my perspective, that there's just too big a link between great patient care and financial outcomes. You have to do them. You, you have to be great for patients. You have to be preferred. They have too many choices. And lean into these investments where possible because, number one, it's good for patients. And number two, if it's good for patients, it's probably good for the bottom line.
1: Well, Wes Edwards, Chief Financial Officer of MedFirst in North and South Carolina, this has really been fantastic. You know, we know that value-based care isn't going to happen unless it can be financially sustainable. So it is just wonderful to hear how you all are making this work. And thank you for joining our show.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, an outro for this show. And it's uh, a sad outro because it's also Brian's outro. Uh, Brian, after a few years working on the show with me, being a great partner, you are, you are moving on
0: yeah, yeah. No, it is a a sad and somber day at the aCO show, but uh, also very excited for for what's to come. Just want to thank you for your your
1: great work here. any any final thoughts?
0: Yeah, no, I just um, so first of all, to the listeners out there, um, I will be happy to share more um, on next steps. But first order of priority is spending some time with with my daughter. And, uh, you know, these young years move pretty fast. So I'm going to slow down and try to savor it a little bit. But to Josh, a very personal thank you to inviting me to just have the opportunity to, to join you on this journey of the ACO show and all the different perspectives and voices we've been able to talk to and learn from. I know it comes up a lot in the episodes, and it's a very strange thing for a private company to be running its own podcast and kind of let the co-hosts go and, and chase whatever conversation topics and speakers that are of most interest. And, and you have been the driving force behind that, really helping us explore these conversations, bring them out, elevate these voices, you know, that otherwise they're just working on the front lines and, and just trying to get the movement to value there and another huge thanks that i want to give publicly we thank them of course in the credits of every show but they deserve a lot more than that our amazing production team of rebecca raymond Stuart taylor leanne horst and alana coogan have just done an incredible job really making every episode come together and uh sound as good as it does and it is very sad to be stepping away but i'm very i'm just thrilled to know that you guys are still going to keep this churning and yeah that some of the some of the best episodes are yet to come
1: I know that you'll be cheering us from the sidelines uh, as you join the Allidade Alumni Network and we will be doing the same for you. Thanks, Brian.
0: Yeah, thanks, Josh.